This, I think, is number six study that we've had on the doctrine of the church, ecclesiology, if you like that good uh, systematic theology term. Doctrine of the church, we've looked at a lot of different aspects of what the church is or should be from even the beginning, the founding of the church back in Acts 2, a lot of the characteristics that God desires to see in local churches. We've looked at the importance of, what have we looked at? We've looked at the importance of uh, church membership, the value of church membership, the need for church discipline, admonishing, correcting one another. We have looked most recently about God's plan for pastors and kind of surveying chronologically the New Testament development of this office of elder, pastor, overseer. In fact, as we look at the different terms, the major terms that are used for these men who lead and provide service in the church, we see these three terms primarily, the ones in bold over here, elder, overseer, or bishop, and pastor or shepherd. And each of those terms we see, we saw in our survey of the New Testament last week, identify, really refer to the same group of godly men who are providing leadership, pastoral leadership, service, servant leadership for the benefit of a local congregation, not a bunch of congregations. You know, you have the pastoral group of of this whole region of of, uh, churches. These are men who are identified or associated with a specific church. And there are more than one of them, and probably more than two of them. And there are just a group of these godly men who provide that pastoral eldership and care for the congregation. We see the term elder, probably the most predominant term, whether it's um, in elder, talking about elders or the eldership. There's a verse, First uh, Timothy 4 or 14, I think. Timothy was appointed uh, to his service uh, by the laying on of hands by the presbytery. You've maybe read that word or the eldership, maybe your translation says. So we can see the different terms there. At root, of course, it refers to somebody who is older, somebody who's mature, maybe not necessarily even in age, you know, chronologically speaking, but mature in Christ and able to help other people uh, develop their relationship with Christ and grow in him. Having the term overseer, of course, emphasizes the work. What is the, what is the task that is entrusted to these men? And that is overseeing, uh, managing, leading, directing uh, supervising, I mean, oversee, supervise, same kind of thing, and having that administration, administrative kind of function on behalf of the church. Not as we see lording it over those. We'll see that in First, first Peter 5 here in just a moment. Also the third term, pastor or shepherd, same term. Uh, pastor comes from the Latin word that comes out of the Greek. And shepherd we just have as our is our English derivation from these different terms. But it has to, it emphasizes more the manner, the mindset, the mode which these men approach the task. It's not, a, not an ultimately administrative or, or ruling kind of a task. It's not something, you know, they're the decision makers of the church. No, it's a pastoral concern, even a personal uh, affection, affinity for the, the people. It's not something that, you know, we're the leaders, we're in charge, we're doing all this, and uh, good grief, can't you show us some appreciation once in a while? It's not that. It's a service mentality. It's always seeking to do and advance other people, uh, often at the expense of your own self. It's a sacrificial service, kind of like, I don't know, love. Isn't that love? Love seeks the best interest of the person loved, the object of the love. It's not about me. It's about how I can meet other people. Well, the question of what we do, what do pastors do, comes to us this morning. And you think, you know, it's often joked, you know, you, don't, you only work one day a week. What do you do the rest of the week, right? And, uh, you know, all the, all the other jokes that you can think of. And, and uh, it, it's, it is funny, I'm sure. I'll laugh with you. But it's, it's not, that's not true or, or valid or anything like that. But what do pastors do? What are they about? 
I'll give you four terms. I've given you two before, but I'll give you four this time just because uh, it helps to appreciate what do these men do on behalf of the congregation. Let me summarize it in in this way. The first one is care or care for. It's not like just, you know, I care for people, but to care for them, meeting needs, having a regular uh, personal contact with people, conversation with people, uh, evaluating um, or, or, excuse me, praying for people, uh, helping to identify needs, and then maybe uh, certainly approaching the, the Lord in prayer. Maybe you've heard it said that you can do lots of things after you pray, but pray, pretty much nothing before you pray. You can always go to prayer. Whenever you hear a, an issue, a, a joy, you know, thanksgiving, go to prayer. Thank God for these things. You have an intercession, something we need to pray about. That is this caring kind, caring kind of work. James 5 and verse 14 and 15, we looked at that last week, that if any of you is sick, let him call or ask the elders of the church, and they'll come and pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord, and he'll be He'll be saved or healed or delivered. Sins will be forgiven and so forth. So there is that kind of uh, even a, a ministerial therapeutic presence that these pastors have. They're primarily concerned for the well-being of the flock, looking for the health, looking for the vitality, looking for, hey, are we all going in the same direction? What kind of strays do we have over here? What kind of dissension do we have over here? What divisive people, how can we address these things? We are trying to help address many practical needs. Even, we'll look at this context again. We looked at it last week, Acts 20. We'll look at one verse again, again in just a moment. And that is, at the end of Paul's words to the elders of Ephesus, the Ephesian church, he says, remember the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Make sure that you are active. He says it to Titus, Titus 3, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, somewhere in that context, he says, our people should be zealous for good deeds. He says it back in chapter 2, but he says they should meet, be, be uh, prepared to meet pressing needs. And so we want to be not just the elders, the pastors, but everybody motivated to serve one another, meeting practical needs. In a lot of regards, pastors lead the way, but we should not expect, and this isn't a self-serving statement, this is for you really, as I mentioned, you remember how I closed last week that you are the most important person. You ought to think of that coming into this church. I'm the most important people person here, not so that I can be served or, or coddled or anything, but I need to serve. I need to speak. I need to listen. I need to pray for. I need to encourage other people. I, I'm here to serve, not to be served. And so I am, each one of you think I am important in the work of the church. I'm important. My presence here is important. We don't lay all the work on, on the pastors. Hey, there's a need over here, pastor so-and-so, you go take care of this. There's a mobilization effort. Pastors are aware of needs, and now the church can come alongside and minister to these needs. Pastors are helpful to identify these things and then to uh, organize even a response to these things, not just personally having to fulfill all the, all the responsibility, all, you know, doing all, this, all the service, all the hospital calls, all the everything, but to see the church itself doing that. That's just joy and life and, and a tremendous blessing to those in, in pastoral work. There are other aspects of, of caring for the church, counseling, serving the church. But another main big category is what do pastors do? They care for the church, but they also feed the church. And again, we're going to look at scripture here in just a moment. I'm just giving you an overview, some, some little racks or, or coat hooks, I guess, to hang your thoughts on. And feeding the church, that is directing the ministry of the word from the pulpit to be sure, but even in other situations as well. You know, small group ministry, one-on-one conversations, uh, email communication, electronic communication, just helping, equipping one another, feeding people with the word of God. 
and other helpful articles. You know, I share different articles on Slack and different things trying to help us think through biblically some of these things or be prepared for this, that, or the other thing. But it's ultimately leading us back to God's word, God's counsel for us. Elders are responsible, Titus 1 and verse 9, to exhort in sound doctrine, to encourage, to plead with people, to listen, and of course, obey. What is God say, saying for us? What does his word say? So feeding the scripture. You know, I, can, I have opinions. You have opinions. I don't want to focus on and emphasize my opinions on this, that thing, or the other thing, you know, choice of vehicle to drive or uh, the, you know, the color of tie that you should try to find that matches the rest of your outfit, which I'm not so good at. Thank you for your patience. Uh, just all those kind of opinions about whatever. What does God say? We direct it, come, come back to the scriptures. So exhorting and sound doctrine, even admonishing those, which is to say there's something not quite right in the way that you're thinking or the way that you just said that, it's not quite right. Yes, the, the manner or the, the tone of your, speak, your speaking, but more the content. What, do you, what, what you said there is not quite right. So admonishing, bringing us back in line with the scripture. And certainly like Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 say, it says God has given us to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? What do we have these guys for? Verse 12 says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, to the building up, verse 16, of the, of the body in love is what we're all about. And so equipping the people to serve. It's not just we expect all the pastors to do the service. No, we're, we all are together in this, in this assembly. Caring for, feeding the church. And thirdly here, protect, to protect the church. I think protect the church. Well, protect your church from you guys. You guys are a bunch of ravenous wolves. Well, I hope not. I hope that you don't regard the, the pastors as, as uh, uh, you know, peddling false teaching or false teachers themselves. No, elders are responsible to protect against those things. In our passage we'll look at in just a moment, Acts 20, 28, we see that necessity to guard yourself and all the flock. Be on, be on the guard. Be watchful, watch yourself, and be on guard for all the flock. Watch and protect against false teaching. Titus 1.9, of course, says, exhorting and sound doctrine and able to refute those who contradict. So knowing enough about what the, that false teacher is saying, not all the ins and outs, because it gets convoluted. It's, it's deceitful doctrines of demons and so forth. And so we don't want to know all of what they're saying, but to know enough to say, hey, that's not right, right according to Scripture. Scripture says this, being more familiar with God's word. In fact, that's what he says at the beginning of Titus 1.9, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching. We're holding fast this, not the Republican Party platform or the Democratic Party platform or major poetry or major TikToks and going on right now. We're going back to the scriptures. That's where we are, are uh, adhering and, and, and uh, motivated to obey. Even removing unrepentant offenders, protecting the church from unrepentant offenders. Yeah, because don't let a root of bitterness come and, and infiltrate your church and defile many other people. First Corinthians 5, of course, talks about that and, and uh, other places as well. That we would address those who are walking not in obedience to the Lord, but walking in unrepentant sin. We uh, should rebuke divisive people, those who are crying, trying to cause dissension, trouble, you know, party factions, uh, all these kind of things. We want to be careful to uh, protect the church in that regard. A fourth, final, main category of the work of pastors is to lead, to lead the congregation. And we can see that, again, that reference in that phrase to oversee, to supervise, to manage, to direct, uh, to evaluate, to, to uh, make, uh, you know, set the direction for the church. It's interesting how 
that the local church has the same mandate you know, across the, the world, across the generations, across the ages, the cultures, whatever. We have the same mandate, but it's interesting to see how different local bodies are equipped maybe a little bit differently with that different little skill set or that particular burden, and we're, we're doing the same work ultimately, but they have a, a, a more emphasis on this, or this church over here has a more emphasis on that. Under the Lord's direction and Lord's uh, spirit indwelling each one, praise the Lord for the diversity and the diversity of gifts and, and burdens and passions that different churches have. The elders, the pastors, overseers help to set the direction knowing, you know, we have this in our congregation. We have this, this skill set or this, this group of, of interest or this passion, this burden that we've sensed in prayer and in our fellowship together. And so we're going to go in this direction, maybe different from the church down the way or this other church, but we, we see the Lord directing us in this way. Practically, how do you lead? How do you care for the church? You conduct weddings. You conduct funerals. You conduct all kind of different meetings and, and ceremonies, celebrations and so forth that we would uh, share as a body, certainly sharing in baptism and the Lord's table, leading in that regard, watching over souls, as Hebrews thirteen seventeen says. Elders really provide a model, a mature model. I mean, we have lots of models available to us, but a mature model of Christ-likeness, leading in that regard. Remember that term that's used um, first time we looked at it was in First Thessalonians 5.12, those who lead, recognize those who lead, know those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and, and, and give you instruction and so forth. That word lead had the idea of standing before or standing in front of, uh, kind of like a shepherd leading the congregation along. And so there's so much of pastoralness, if you don't mind, that is exemplary or providing an example to the flock. We'll see that in First Peter 5. So setting the tone really, uh, and and not that you would be just like all the elders, but that each elder, pastor, overseer, and the whole church be like the Lord, be like Jesus. And so, in, insofar, First Corinthians eleven one, insofar as I imitate Christ, then you imitate me. Or he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So that's how he says it. First Corinthians eleven one. The elders should be worthy of imitation and leading in that regard. We think of leadership as being the, the, the chief decision makers and it's my way, the highway. No, leadership is, is much more intimate, much more humble service, caring for the people than you know, being the, the uh, chief decision maker, etc. Leading also is going to seek straying sheep. We studied in relation to church discipline, Matthew uh, 18, beginning at verse 15, but I referenced, I think, verses 12 through 14, Matthew 18, 12 through 14, where Jesus talks about the shepherd who has a 100 sheep, remember? One of them wanders away, and the shepherd says, good riddance. You know, that's been a troublesome sheep since she was born. Good grief. I'm glad she's gone. No. Leaves a 99, goes after that one, rejoices, and just celebrates. Got this one back, and hey, rejoice with me. And so that attitude of, of seeking those who are straying, seeking those who are making wrong choices, just constantly veering off, not in a good direction. And so we are, are careful to pay attention to those, those issues and those, those uh, challenges that face us. We looked at last week, too, about managing finances. Uh, and I developed that from Acts 4 and Acts 11 and uh, taking care of those uh, practical needs. Well, we need to look at some scripture. Talked all about it, but Ephesians, or excuse me, First Thessalonians chapter five is where we're, we will look. Again, we looked at this last week in kind of a very summary fashion. But First Thessalonians five and verse twelve and thirteen, Paul has a specific word to the church in Thessalonica, 
and he is careful to uh, implore the brothers to recognize these men who are providing leadership. Uh, I won't belabor the point in a lot of regards. I'm just going to identify, hey, do you see what these elders, these pastors, overseers, he doesn't use the term here in this context, but he, these are the ones who are leading the church. But he identifies, I think, three, yeah, three different uh, tasks or works that they have. He says here, we ask of you, brothers, that you know those who labor among you. So here's one term. They labor. They work hard. This is the idea of, of not just a working on once a week, you know, on Sundays and taking the rest of the week off. No, they labor, they are toilsome um, uh, slaves, if you don't mind, of the Lord. They're working for the Lord. They receive the favor of the Lord. Uh, not that everybody else can't, but they, they, they have devoted themselves for the service of the congregation. They labor among you, not laboring outside the church uh, you know, for the benefit in terms of a conference ministry or, or something like that, going out and speaking all these different things, that can, that can happen, that can be a blessing. But primarily, their primary focus and attention and responsibility is the local church. It says they labor among you. They're with you. You know them. You can approach them. You can talk to them. They know you even. They can respond to you. So that first thing is that they labor. Second one, second task or responsibility here is they lead you in the Lord. They lead you. They're the ones standing out in front. They're providing the example. They're the ones who are saying, let's go this way, not that way. And then here's the reasons we're going this way. Uh, directing affairs, uh, managing, caring for all these different aspects of leading the congregation uh, in the Lord. Again, it's not, you know, I have a particular burden or I have. There's a big thing, by the way, as we have put together our bylaws about, and what is the term again? Uh, conflict of interest. Uh, deals and being careful we have a, a clear conflict of interest statement what's that about that there would be no decision made on behalf of the church that would somehow come to the benefit tangibly or otherwise to any one of the pastors that uh, you know making this decision but it, it doesn't somehow come back and bless me uh, it, practically in terms of money or so forth or any of the other pastors and so we want to be careful to have that clear statement that way that's not even a concern leaders are here to, to labor they're here to serve they're here to meet the benefits or, or meet the needs of other people they're you're leading in the lord the lord is the one who gives the reward the lord is the one who gives the confidence the content even of our ministry and so we're careful to lead in the lord and it says, thirdly, here in end of verse 12, they admonish you. We talked about that, that they're the ones who counsel, the, not exclusively, all, all of us have the responsibility to admonish, but especially the elders having that awareness of what's going on in the congregation. Admonishing, correcting, showing, showing faults. Um, and again, not for the purpose of passing judgment to say, hey, that's, that's not a good way to go. That's not health. That's not life. That's not a blessing to your husband or wife or children. Let's come back to what God has said. And so admonition has the idea, there's a problem here, let's correct it, let's get back in there. He says other things that we talked about this past time, but let's turn to Acts 20. And this is a passage that is just so powerful. Uh, and again, we can look at a lot of aspects. This is one of those places that is maybe autobiographical in some regard, but it, it shows the heart of Paul. It shows the burdens that he had in the, as an apostle. It shows the... Uh, even in the context he talks about, I was with you with tears, admonishing, teaching, and uh, be, being very careful, whether in the, in the corporate gatherings or 
uh, in, in house to house. Verse 19, I was serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. So opposition from outside. This is not all Jews, because right, Paul was a Jew. But these are unbelieving, and not just unbelieving, but really rebellious uh, um, forward uh, Jews that were opposing Paul's ministry, the ministry of Christ. And he says, I was with you in all humility, with tears and with trials. I wasn't impervious to these things. I was so concerned for this. I wanted to uh, be with you. He says back in verse 18, I was, when I first day I set foot in Asia, I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord and so forth. Verse 20, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying both Jews and Greeks, about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he really kind of opens the curtains a little bit, draws back the curtains, shows the burdens that he has. He does it in other places too, but this, this address to the Ephesian elders is so powerful to see, wow, what kind of a man was Paul? Brilliant mind, tremendously brilliant mind, but so much, as he says earlier in First Thessalonians, as a mother with children or, or as, a, as a father coming to his own children, just pleading with you, imploring you, concerned for your, your well-being and so forth, that Paul uh, provides that example for us. I mentioned last week about verse 17, just to underscore the idea, elders, pastors, overseers are the same group of godly men. Verse 17 says, Paul called him the elders of the church. The elders of the single church that was meeting in the city of Ephesus. Hey, come on down, meet me uh, at Miletus, just a little bit south of Ephesus. And they had this conversation. Well, it was an address that Paul was, was sharing. Verse 28 is where I want to look at specifically here. He says, because he's about to leave and, and not expecting to be able to come back to Ephesus, he says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So his address, his warning is, I'm leaving, but you guys, the, the mantle is passed to you. I can't be here all the time. In fact, he had been gone from Ephesus for some while. He'd gone into uh, Macedonia, Achaia, gone to Corinth, and, and now he's coming back and going on to Jerusalem uh, to get back to, for the, the uh, festival that was coming up. And he says, I, I can't be with you anymore, but the responsibility is on you now. Uh, you guys need to be on guard. And notice he says, for yourselves first. You've got to watch yourself in the ministry. Watch your individually, each one of you, watch yourself and how you approach these different tasks of caring for and feeding and leading and protecting the church. Watch out so that you don't do it for selfish reasons or anything. You are watching yourself, Paul says to Timothy, First Timothy 4, uh, 16, I think it is, where he says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Be careful. Examine yourself. Make sure that you are uh, all the things that you're expecting your, your congregation to be, make sure that you are doing that. You're the example. And so you watch yourself. He says, watch yourself individually, but also watch, watch yourselves as a group of elders. Uh, this mutual accountability, transparency, uh, answerability kind of attitude ought to be a practice in the eldership at large, watching each other. And again, not for the purpose of you know, you know, looking for that one error. Oh, you're out then. Get out of here. I can't stand that anymore. No, being so gentle and kind and, and nurturing one another, encouraging one another toward uh, Christ's likeness. But be on guard. Watch. Watch. And of course, having watched yourself and as a group, you watch out for the whole flock. You look for the, the flock, the congregation that God has given to you uh, to manage, to care for. It's not your, your people. I mean, you are responsible for them. They're the Lord's people. You are an under-shepherd uh, for his sake. And he says here, among which 
So in the context of a local church, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. You have been appointed to that specific work. You have been placed in that office, that assigned position to bless that local church. It is something the Holy Spirit appointed. Now, another time, perhaps, I don't think as part of our study, our series this time, we can talk about the call to the ministry and how that is both an internal call. Maybe we'll talk about it next week, about the qualifications. Because First Timothy 3.1 says... If any man aspires or desires to or literally lusts after the work of of overseership, hey, it's a good thing to desire that thing. Have a a desire that then motivates or influences behavior or choices, decisions. If you you want something so much, what are you going to do to get it? This is in a good sense. This is a good desire, Paul says. Uh, What are you willing to do to get it to honor the Lord? And so there's that inner call, that inner desire. But we also have an external call. That is to recognize from a church, that person has some gifts and that person has been useful to me and even to other people in the church. And we think that he is, uh, has been doing the work of a pastor, even though he hasn't had the title or the office of that. And so we recognize, we agree with what the Holy Spirit is doing in that person's life. And we recognize, boy, that could be a good pastor for us to join our pastoral team. So he says, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Wait a minute, I thought these were elders back in verse 17. Well, yeah, elders, overseers, pastors, same kind of term. In fact, he uses that word overseers and then the verb form to shepherd. So elders are overseers, then they shepherd. And these, all these three terms come together. I belabor that and probably think, good grief, get over it. It's important. These, these terms are important, even how we regard one another, how we speak of one another, because of the characteristics of, of eldership or pastoralship before the Lord and under the Lord. What are overseers to do? Shepherd the church of God. Care for, protect, lead, all these, these wonderful things we've seen. Shepherd the church of God. Have that, that affinity. Have that relationship with this, with this congregation. Uh, herding, but not in a, in a negative way or a, a domineering way. We'll see in, in 1 Peter 5. But caring for, being so attentive to the needs and the dangers and, and the looking for the, the quiet waters and the, and the green pastures and all these things like Psalm 23 says. Shepherd the church of God. Now this is an interesting phrase, and I mentioned it in passing maybe last week, that it says, you shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. There is a... A variant, you know about these things. I want to belabor the point too much, and you think that's that's part of your middle name, belabor. Uh, you you no anyway. I don't know. You go too deep into things. But there there's a there is a word that is different in some translations. I don't know if you have. I think the American Standard Version still have that. It's a hundred years old, where it says the Church of the Lord, uh, to shepherd the Church of the Lord, which He purchased with His own blood. The, the the issue is is it the Church of God or the Church of the Lord? And part of the reason why that is an issue is because you look at the rest of the phrase, which he purchased with his own blood. If it's the church of God, God the Father, God does not have a body, God is spirit, and so he he's not, doesn't have a body that he can then deliver unto death as the Lord Jesus did. If it's talking about the church of the Lord, then oh, it's the Lord Jesus, right? The Lord Jesus laid on his life for us. He purchased with his own blood. And so we have salvation, repent, uh, you know, faith in, in his name, and we have this provision, this propitiation, a satisfying sacrifice before God. And so the question comes back, is it the assembly, the, the church of God, or the church of the Lord? There are different manuscripts going back even to the, the second and third centuries, actually probably the third century, uh, more likely. Irenaeus, the church father, was the first to 
quote this passage, Acts 20, 28, in one of his writings, in his book Against Heresies, and of which, now this is an interesting thing, and you'll just have to come along for the ride. If, you, if, you're, not getting, if you're not jiving with me, God bless you, and we'll try to get forward. He wrote his original manuscript in Greek, of which we have no really viable copies of it. It's a long manuscript. We only have a few kind of short little pieces of his Greek writing. We have a whole lot of his Latin, you know, translated into Latin, although they come a few two or three hundred years later. He wrote in the second century the earliest, let's see, he wrote, yeah, about 174 to 184, and the first Latin manuscripts are a hundred years later than that. Doesn't necessarily indicate, well, we shouldn't believe it, no, but it does say that we don't have the original Greek of what he wrote. We have the Latin versions. We have a lot of other uh, translations that say, of the Lord. The point is, Irenaeus said, this is the church of the Lord. And that's where, when we say, well, that's the earliest witness to this, this text, and so that's probably what that is. We see, though, that throughout other scriptures, uh, the church of God is what is used. In fact, the church of the Lord, nowhere else does Paul or Luke have that phrase, whereas he does have a lot of times talking about the church of God. Uh, a lot of times here, I think, Acts twenty twenty eight, but also uh, several times, one, three, four, five, six times in, or five times in uh, 1 Corinthians, one time in 2 Corinthians, always talking about the church of God, the church of the living God. Why do I belabor this point? Again, because Jesus died for the church. Jesus laid down his life. He purchased with his own blood. Christ did, but he calls this the church of God. God is the one who purchased with his own blood. God the Son, if you don't mind to be explicit, God the Son purchased the church with his own blood. Now, some people would say, no, uh, there's another way to understand that, that phrase, his own blood. That is to say, the blood of his own one or the blood of his beloved son, as we see elsewhere. Uh, you know, whenever God the Father speaks about his son at the baptism of Jesus, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. And so he's talking about his own one. God the Father's own, own one is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, well, there's no problem, right? God the Father, it's the church of God, but it is the blood of his own one, his blood of Christ. This is a serious issue about the deity of Christ and the the glory that is his own, that Christ himself is the one who has both purchased, he is the one who owns, he has redeemed it, for redeemed the church for himself. We are related to him. We have that desire to uh, honor him, to obey him, to recognize even shepherds are under shepherds under the chief shepherdness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hopefully that wasn't too tedious. I'm sure it was. Let's move on. That we see this, this uh, important passage, and he goes on and, and talks about the, the savage wolves that are come in, going to come in and so forth. Uh, 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. We looked at again in passing last week. I'm not going to look at this whole text that I have uh, selected for us. But 1 Timothy 5, 17, another important passage, verses 17 and 18, says, The elders who lead well, and now he uses that term elder, focusing on the maturity aspect, the character requirements or expectations that that, uh, Paul has uh, for the leaders. And he says those, um, yeah, the the well-ruling elders, uh, well-leading, the word to stand before, to be an example, to lead, direct, to to, uh, position or to motivate people toward this direction. Those who lead well are to be considered worthy of double honor. It is to say all elders lead, all elders have the responsibility to lead and to care for and protect and and feed, all these requirements of all the elders, but there are some who excel in it or they're they're more given to it or they have more, uh, 
uh, availability even to, to do it, more desire to do it. And so they, those who lead well are to be considered worthy of double honor. That's not just you know, you know, saying Mr. instead of hey, you kind of thing, but it, it's not just a, an honorific kind of approach, but it is talking about, hey, you be sure that you uh, provide material needs, uh, provide for the material needs of these these men. For example, back in verse 3 of First Timothy 5, he says, honor widows who are widows indeed. That's not just an honorific high esteem, think highly of these people, but he goes on and talks about meeting needs in the uh, uh, in the family, if a widow has children, then they must learn to practice piety in regard to their own family, make some return to their parents. It's not just honor, you know, uh, showing esteem for people, but meeting practical needs. And it goes on and says in verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his own, which is to say honor his own, especially for those of his households, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And then it talks about those who, uh, the widows who are have a certain extreme situation and they need help to put them on the list and then in verse um, 16 really summarizes that idea if any believing woman has widows she must assist them and the church must not, not not be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed what is he talking about honoring widows help them practically tangibly if they need assistance you help them so we get down to this context of where they have a double honor for elders who rule well it's not just talking about hey you know bless you and and you know, whatever. It is helping to meet practical needs. And it goes on, if there was any confusion, verse 18, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while it's threshing. And you get the idea, you get the picture of that. We don't see that a lot. We buy our, our wheat, our flour from the store, and we don't see all the process behind it. But a, an ox would be walking in the midst of this grain that has been harvested on the threshing floor, walking across it and separating the the uh, the stalk and the, and the chaff from the kernel itself. And every now and again, God bless them, they would reach down with their wonderful big oxen mouths and take a good swipe of that stuff. And you think, that's so gross and unhygienic. Hey, that's how things go. And it says, don't muzzle the ox while it's threshing. Don't make it impossible for them to eat some, you know, some benefit of their labor. Make sure that you let them take a little uh, munch of that every now and again. And that's an Old Testament quotation. And then he also says, the labor is worthy of his wages. So if you work, you ought to be paid. Now, of course, we think Romans 6, uh, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, that's the kind of wages. I don't want those wages. The wages of sin is death. No, I don't want that. I want the gift that God provides. But here, the labor is worthy of his wages. If you, if you do stuff, and, and Paul argues that case elsewhere in, in uh, his writings to the Corinthians about honoring and meeting needs. James also talks about Galatians, talks about it as well. Anyway, it says that honor those who, are, who labor at preaching the word and teaching or who labor at the word and doctrine. It says uh, more explicitly, if you don't mind. And it says those who work hard at, again, it's not a passive thing. It's not a once in a while they get around to it. It's something they, they spend a lot of time in, studying, preparing, fashioning messages, making it uh, attractive in, in, the, in a righteous kind of way, uh, in a... Uh, a helping kind of way. How is this going to help the congregation? How does this, this study, how does this apply to us as a local church? And so laboring uh, in the work of preaching the scriptures, preaching the word and the doctrine that associates with it. These elders have this responsibility to lead and to teach. If you don't mind going back, feeding, leading, protecting, caring for are the, the overall uh, responsibilities of elders. 
I have, I'm going to skip over Titus 1, uh, 5 through 9, because we're going to look at it next week in relation to the qualifications of elders. But we'll finish here, wrap up our time in 1 Peter chapter 5, looking at just some key aspects of what Paul says here. 1 Peter chapter 5, he is really concluding his words to the church, churches, as identified back in verse 1, chapter 1, uh, the different uh, churches that he's writing to, all kind of different places, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. And he says, look, I'm talking to all, all the elders of the churches, not the elders over all this area and you know, you know, archbishops and all that. No, each congregation has this set of godly men who are providing these uh, responsibilities or the ministries. And he says, I exhort the elders, and he talks about his qualifications and so forth. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God. He's talking about elders. He's saying, shepherd the flock of God among you, overseeing, not in compulsion, but willingly, according to God, not for dishonest gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to you, but being examples to the flock. So he identifies uh, four different aspects of what is what are the elders to do? He says here in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God. Have that very attentive watching, uh, looking for, I don't know that there are many rattlesnakes, poisonous, well, there are asps and different things, vipers and whatnot in Israel, but we're looking out for those things, looking out for the bears, looking out for the, the lions, looking out for all the predators that would come after the sheep. In a, in a shepherding you know, animal mindset, yes, but in much more so because we have... Uh, wolves, right, dressed in sheep's clothing, those who are false teachers who rise up among us. We've got to be careful. If there, there is a blessing in our present age in that we have so many means of communication. I mean, we have print media, we have electronic media, we have, you know, websites, we have social media, we have video, a lot of different video platforms, we have radio, we have cassette tapes. Do we have still have cassette CDs? Uh, those kinds of things. We have lots of media, medium of, of exposure and just raises the, the need all the more so to be discerning, to be careful. What in the world are we listening to? It can be in terms of prose, can be in terms of music, poetry, just images. What are we paying attention to? How can we help one another uh, in, a, in a, this, this sea of information that is just out there? We want to be careful to identify false doctrine, false teaching, false thinking, that which does not honor Christ, does not honor his word. And so having that idea of, of shepherding the flock, watching out for this false doctrine that can come in and leading the congregation, again, to green pastures, to pleasant and quiet waters and so forth. Shepherding against the flock of God. It's God's own flock. He has purchased it with his own blood. Second aspect here, overseeing. Watching over, supervising, managing, directing, leading, not under compulsion, but willingly. This word compulsion is a direct opposite to this word willingly. In fact, you could say overseeing not unwillingly, but willingly. In other words, don't do it as if you are forced to do it. Well, there's nobody else going to stand forced. I guess I'll do it. No, you do it uh, willingly, voluntarily, spontaneously. Even perhaps if you don't have the title, pastor, elder, overseer, can you do the work? Can you care for one another? Can you lead them into quiet waters, lead them and, and protect them from false doctrine, listening to each other? There is some regard in which the congregation knows more about the, the, each other than the pastors do. And that, that ought not to be, but it's the reality is we have opportunity to, to visit and discuss and talk with one another. You know 
if you don't mind, you are more on the front lines of helping each other grow in Christ than the pastors. Pastors have an overseeing, overall view with a, a, a particular emphasis. Usually, it's the ones that, that, um, that have you know, special needs, more needs, more urgent, diligent needs, needs uh, a, a quick response that the pastors get. But in terms of the, the general uh, upkeep, maintenance mode of the congregation, it's each other. The ministry of the word through authentic relationships that we care for one another. So we are willingly, voluntarily already doing the work regardless of remuneration, regardless of the honor, the prestige that may come with the title of pastor. We do it in a, uh, a, a gracious, thanks, thankful response to what God is already doing in us. So shepherding the church of God, overseeing willingly, according to God, according to him, recognizing that he is the rewarder. In fact, verse uh, 5, verse 4 rather, says, when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. So there is that. We work for God. A third aspect here, not for dishonest gain. Don't do it to uh, satisfy your greed. Um, you know, sometimes you think, well, there's, there's a lot of money to be had in ministry, or the word of God. Well, that's not how you should approach it. That's the attitude that Paul identifies and repudiates back in Acts 20, verse 30, I guess it would be, 2930, where he says, some of your own selves will rise up speaking perverse things in order to draw disciples away from them. And I like to say it's not just the disciples they draw away, but their pocketbooks or their money bags. And so, hey, they're attached to us. They're going to buy our, our products. They're going to go to our conferences and they're going to listen to us instead of those other people. Don't be like them. You don't work for dishonest gain. You don't work for the... the um, for filthy lucre. I love that from King James, right? Just the, the, you're doing it to satisfy your own appetites. Don't do it. The, the prophets, the false teachers, false shepherds, I should say, that Ezekiel talks about, they're doing it for themselves. They, they're all motivated. What can I get out of this? You know, what, you have, what have you done for me lately kind of thing? Why aren't you meeting my needs? You, you, you've seen this about some churches, some church pastors who are saying, hey, you, haven't, you didn't buy me that watch that I asked for two months ago. Why haven't you done that? Why don't you give me that double honor? You don't expect that. You serve, not for dishonest gain, but with eagerness. You are so ready to serve, not for what you can get out of it, but what you can give into it. You serve willingly, heartily, cheerfully, sacrificially. You're doing this for the other people. Lastly, he says in verse 3, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to you, but being examples to the flock. Yes, pastors have a responsibility of leading and directing, managing, and so forth, but don't say, well, I... It's my way or the highway. It's our way or the highway. And, and so we are domineering and you just need to settle down and submit to us and listen to us for once. And, and we just can get all on our high horse. And, and instead of overseeing people, you know, directing and managing shepherd people, we are trying to overcome them by the power of our presence. Uh, I don't know if that's why a lot of pastors are big. If you don't mind my saying, being very practical, large guys, tall. I mean, just because they're the power of their, it's not how we should be weak. You know, Samson, you heard about Samson in the Old Testament. It wasn't because he was so built and so muscular that he had such power, because obviously the Philistines says, where in the world does his power come from? Because he's nothing. Physically, not much to look at. Where does his power come from? The Holy Spirit. As Samson was obedient to the Lord, he had great power and can do these wonderful things. Men, pastors, are not to lord it over those, not to overcome or master uh, the the, uh, the sheep, the flock, as he says here, but being examples. Instead of telling people what to do, they show. Because it is really a lot easier to tell people what to do, and then they say, go, go and do that. And meanwhile, the pastors aren't doing that themselves. 
One pastor said, you know, my wife expects me to do everything that I teach on a Sunday. What kind of expectation is that? But to lead by example, he says, being examples to the flock, being careful to provide not a domineering, overwhelming presence, but coming in and, and just serving and seeing needs, meeting needs, directing, coordinating the, the provision of needs. That he says a lot of different aspects of what pastors, elders, overseers ought to be doing here. And so we want to summarize in this regard. Uh, pastors, the work of pastors is sharing pastoral oversight. It's not just oversight for the purpose of you know, being the managers, directors, leaders, and we're in charge here and you better you know, get in line or get, get in you know, behind us, follow behind us. It is a pastoral concern, shepherding mindset. There are qualifications. These pastors meet qualifications that we'll look at next week. First uh, Timothy three, first you know, Timothy three, Titus one, First Peter five has these different qualifications, and finally, laboring sacrificially. This, it's not about the pastors. It's not for the benefit. You know, we don't, we don't shepherd so the we don't shepherd the people so that we can get fat and rich and happy all, all, off of them. We labor for the benefit of the other persons. We are being very careful to even practice sacrificial lifestyles. People ask me sometimes, you know, what are your hobbies? People, just people, helping, uh, studying the scriptures, trying to be useful to people. Uh, yeah, maybe I'll have some hobbies, but there's, there's a lot of sacrifice. There's a lot of things uh, you can't do as a pastor. You live for the benefit of other people, and they work hard, and they are worthy of remuneration, it says, and even in that regard, there are some elders who are worthy of double honor, but all the elders have the responsibility of leading and teaching and the ministry of the word and doctrine and so forth. And so we want to preserve that shared pastoral oversight. And so affirming this is a group of godly men who are providing leadership, not just one or two out of ten, but all of them in different aspects, different giftedness, gifted availabilities, but all of us have that burden, that desire. So we're not just administrative shepherds. We are pastoral uh, elder overseers uh, trying to help the, and benefit the congregation. Much more could be said about uh, all these things. Again, le- next week, the qualifications, and not to dissuade or talk anybody out. I guess, oh, I can't, I can't serve as a pastor because this, that. In a lot of regards, it's the direction of your life. Are you moving toward maturity? What kind of, what kind of uh, the besetting sins, those things that surround us that are holding us back, what kind of things are those that we need to deal with? But is, there, is this person moving forward in God's grace and Christ-likeness? That's what we're looking for for next week. Our Father in heaven, you're so good to us. Thank you for your mercy, your provision for the life of a congregation and even in, in uh, pastors, elders, overseers from the first century to this 21st century, you have provided for your people. And so we pray that we'd be very diligent to fulfill this work, this great responsibility you have entrusted so much, the care of your own church to men. Men are responsible for the shepherding care, leading, leading and, and the protecting and uh, feeding, teaching of the local church. We pray that you'd be very gracious. We pray that you'd work through um, clay vessels, cracked pots, uh, just who we are. You know we're, we're but dust. You've made us, and yet we feel our inadequacy in so many different ways. Please work through our weakness. You said that your, your power is made perfect in our weakness. It's not an excuse for us to, you know, just sit back and let you do all the work, but to recognize we are so inadequate. It's Christ who does these things for his glory. 
We pray that he would be glorified in this congregation. We pray in his name. Amen.